Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability and the environment from around St Albans and from further afield. Now, the need to get to carbon net zero before we send the planet into dangerous levels of climate change means we're in a race to decarbonise our energy. There's lots of options on the table, wind power, tidal, geothermal. None of these are much use here in Hertfordshire. So solar power is the most popular, not just for our roofs, but increasingly in the form of solar farms. Such a solar farm has been proposed by Harts County Council for Smallford Pit, adjacent to the Alban Way. But plans for a solar farm between Radlett and Elstree are a little more advanced. Following a consultation process last year, Enzo Energy has applied for planning permission for a 300-acre greenbelt site, Hillfield. They say that it would provide enough energy for 15,600 homes, saving 25,400 tonnes of carbon each year. But what would the impact of 300 acres of solar panels be on local people? And is this Greenbelt site near to villagers the right place for such a scheme? Sharon Wolfe of Nota Enzo Powerplant thinks not. I spoke to Sharon to hear her concerns. Sharon, thank you for joining me. So are you opposed to solar farms generally or is it specific things about Hillfield Solar? No, not at all in regards to solar farms generally. Overseas, there's places overseas, China, that have huge solar farms, America. Obviously, their climate is different to ours. So they do generate more electricity. I think it's interesting because actually Boris Johnson announced recently that the way forward for our country was going to be offshore wind. So you believe that solar in this country is not a good idea? I don't think it's the number one. No, he did say that hopefully by 2050 that our country would be powered by offshore wind. I mean, there are obviously Um, advantages to to local energy creation. I um, agree. And we're looking for renewable sources locally. Mm. Um, So given that Hartsmere is not great for wind power, would solar not be a, a good thing to add into the mix? I absolutely think yes, but I also believe that there are plenty of roof spaces and also the council could go forward with new builds insisting that we have solar. Let's yeah. just talk about a, a couple of the specific objections that you have to the Hillfield Solar Site. One of the things you're concerned about is glare. What's the, the issue there? Well, obviously, it's the first thing that residents have put their hands up saying, oh, my goodness, you know, we have a glint of glare situation. The flight path from the Elstree Aerodrome is exactly over these fields. A concern is that obviously the majority of the pilots are novice, perhaps even their first time and trainees. You know, it's not Heathrow with experienced pilots. If you said to someone, could you guarantee that I won't have a helicopter land on my roof or through schools? We have four schools right in the vicinity. Could anyone guarantee that because of the glint and glare? I think we all know that obviously when we get caught with the winter sun on the ice and the snow, how it temporarily blinds you. However, uh, they have done a report that has gone into the documents. So I know the council have actually been very, very tight on this document. You mentioned local schools there. Do you have Mm. other concerns about the effect on them? Yes, this is something that a few of the councillors have spoken about. Noise pollution. 
Uh, obviously, I'm not a scientist in that direction, but you will get noises from the inverters and the batteries and obviously from solar farms. Uh, I have seen video clips that have been sent to me of the noise that is produced. I believe that in summer uh, with sunrise, which will always be about 4.35 in the morning, that this will kick off. I do think it's a huge thing that needs to be looked at. And going back to the Enzo scheme, it is incredibly huge. I have called it a beast of a scheme. You know, they've not come in looking at two, three, four fields. People would have kind of gone, yes, we agree. It's the size of it in a village. And this is the whole thing behind it. You know, a scheme like this needs to be away from the eye, away from schools, away from residents, and especially away from all the listed buildings and heritage sites that we have in the area. Now, one of your concerns is about the end of life for this scheme and what would happen to it, either when it's finished with or or perhaps if the operating company goes bust. Mm. Tell us about that. What we have here is Enzo are uh, land agents or site finders. They do not build. They literally get planning. Like a developer would get planning for a house, they are now taking the opportunity, or you say like it's a Pandora's box that has opened that's allowing land agents to jump on and make quick bucks kind of scheme. It's a contract between the landowner and the site finders. And then once that's done, obviously they they will then sell the product. So nobody actually knows who is going to decommission it. I mean, you're looking at tens of millions to take this down. So what's happening in America, they are getting abandoned. Okay. Now, um, Enzo has undergone a consultation process. Did you have the opportunity to have some of your concerns addressed within that process? Yeah, you're absolutely right. This was, I believe, back in October time. In fact, I think a couple of leaflets uh, were found in people's post box to a webinar that Enzo were going to host. I think we literally had like 24 hours warning. I know I put it out on social media and that attracted, I think we had about 45 people on that webinar. Enzo spoke out. Sadly, because of the situation and the pandemic, Everybody is obviously, you know, hands tied. They can't go out. They can't see anything. They can't go to the council. They can't go to the library to get all this information. And it was done obviously on a webinar where they were in control of the mute. So, yes, they did speak out. They have a PR company. And at the end, we had to pre-send our questions. So I would say it was a very controlled webinar. But, yeah, people did put their concerns forward. Were any of your concerns alleviated by that process? Do you feel that you were listened to? Marginally. Well, what it looks like, obviously, they've done their work from the desktop. And then where the residents said, listen, you, you really need to come and see the land. I think it was more an opportunity for, for them to come and rectify their mistakes. It wasn't really to, you know, kind of listen to us all. Um, I have to say that there's not one resident who is happy with the discussions and the meeting that followed. Okay. So so what are your plans from here? So the application is now in. Obviously, this leaves the public four weeks. I believe the cutoff date is 28th of February to put in objections. What I am getting is a lot of residents. They want to know facts. They feel that they haven't been informed properly. There is very little knowledge. They are very scared by the size of this. And they're actually asking, you know, how we can stop this. So it's awareness, really. Nobody is dictate 
what to do. We're not telling people to object. We are giving them information so that people really know what's going on. Okay. Well, Sharon, thank you Mm. very much indeed for explaining that to us. I was talking to Sharon Wolf of No Two Enzo Power Plant. Do look them up on Facebook if you'd like to see more about them. Next, I spoke to Simon Wheeler, Head of Development at Enzo Energy, the company behind the scheme. Simon, thank you very much for joining me. So do we really need solar farms? Wouldn't it be better, as Sharon has just suggested, that instead of using all this land, wouldn't it be better just to make sure that every roof has got solar panels? As far as we're concerned, it's not a matter of one or the other. We think both should be happening. I guess the the challenge is that finding enough rooftops that are available to deploy solar at the scale that the country needs in order to meet net zero 2050, there isn't enough available roofs out there to do it. And putting solar on roofs is, is great. And we, we absolutely support and think that certainly all new buildings should be, be thinking about that. But putting it on existing buildings is not as easy as what it might seem. We, we need to be deploying renewables at scale in this country in order to address the climate emergency that we're all facing and to achieve the targets that we've set. And to do that, we feel that the lowest cost and and most available way to to achieve that aim is is to be using solar PV as one of the energy sources into the next decade or so. Presumably there'll be a lot of money invested into this. So actually solar is a properly viable thing, even in our miserable weather in in England? It really is. Yes. And we are. We're investing a lot of money around the country in schemes like the one that we're proposing here. It is viable. It requires no subsidy. So it doesn't receive any support or assistance from the government. The the technology is mature. It's commercially viable. And we're, we're investing tens of millions of pounds in this project and and in many other projects like it around the country. I suppose the other concern really is that it is a greenbelt site, isn't it? It's a rural England. It's close to where people live. Sharon's called it a beast of a scheme. Is it really an appropriate place to be covering such a large area of land in solar panels? We think so. And, and I guess that the test of that is the planning application and, and the, the, the test that we need to prove in order for this application to, to be considered and, and ultimately consented. Now, Greenbelt locations, we understand a number of our sites are located in the Greenbelt and there, and there are a number of reasons for that and, and a number of reasons why we believe that that is appropriate in these circumstances. So any application that goes into the Greenbelt needs to pass what's called a very special circumstance test. So we set that out as part of our planning application and we demonstrate that we believe that there's no other viable sites that would support a development of this this type, which we feel is absolutely essential to meet the energy and, and climate change targets that, that have been set. Now, just thinking specifically about people who live local to this, they're concerned about the noise, the humming. Is this an issue with solar farms of this nature? It, it's really not. And we do assess noise as a matter of course for all of our projects. And that is because some of the bits of kit that we put on the site do create some noise. And most people would be familiar with the type of noise that, that is created from substations or, or transformers. So our sites do have inverters and transformers located on them. We've done a full and a very rigorous noise assessment as part of this and and as part of all of our applications, to be perfectly honest, as a matter of course. And what this one has shown, and and generally what most solar farm applications show, is that the noise that's generated is is really not observable. There's a thing called the no-observe adverse effect, which is what this assessment has demonstrated for this site, which basically means you won't be able to hear it over the background noises of, of sort of life, even in a quiet countryside location, because of the distance between the infrastructure and, and where people sort of live. So yeah, we do assess noise, we take it very seriously and we use experts and it's very rigorously and thoroughly assessed as part of any planning application and the um, 
environmental health will be looking at it to make sure that it's been done correctly and, and all the receptors have been assessed appropriately and the, the application is available for people to, to, to read. Now, uh, how about the large batteries? The, the, the campaign group says that the large lithium-ion batteries, uh, they can be prone to catching fire and emit clouds of hydrogen fluoride. Is this a danger? The, the batteries that we would be proposing to use are, are very, very thoroughly assessed and regulated. They have their own fire suppression built into them, and it's the same technology in a different scale. So laptop computers... Um, phones that you carry around in your pockets, the iPads that we give our kids to play with. That's the sort of technology that we're talking about here. I'm sure if you wanted to, you could you could go onto the internet and find examples of lithium-ion batteries having problems. That's obviously happened in some circumstances, but clearly we as, as responsible developers and the people who fund and put the money into this wouldn't be doing so if it, if it wasn't safe. And, and quite frankly, the the, um, the government, the, the local authorities wouldn't be allowing us to, to put anything in that presented such a risk. So it needs to be managed. It needs to be considered. But that is done so. And the, the technology has developed really rapidly over the last few years and has accommodated all of these needs. And as I said, it is a very highly regulated and, and managed industry now. Another concern that Sharon had was basically about the end of life. What happens once the solar farm is finished with it? It's obviously going to cost a lot of money to decommission it. Or what would happen if the operating company went bust? There's a couple of ways to look at this. First of all, one of the great things about solar is, as I mentioned earlier, it is the lowest cost low carbon energy technology to install. Because it can also be very easily removed at the end of its life. So basically, it's put in on posts that can be very easily taken out, out of the ground when it's finished. As you would expect, we need to provide some provision that should anything happen. And this is incredibly unlikely because funders and investors are putting money into this. They're absolutely going to want to make sure that whoever's running it is doing so appropriately and, and the operation is being managed and is sustainable and, and well looked after. But to provide assurance that should the worst happen and should something happen with a company that's that's owning and running the development, then typically what happens is a bond is put in place and that, that gives our landowners protection as well so that they're not left with acres of land with, with development on it that needs to be taken out. But equally, it's typically a, a, um, a condition of any planning application for a solar farm that a decommissioning bond will be put in place so that should anything happen, there is a pot of money there that is able to be drawn on to go and decommission the site and return it to as it would be before we even turned up. And Simon, if you were to get planning permission for this site, when would the solar panel start to be installed? That's a little bit up in the air, and it's basically determined by when we can achieve a connection with the national grid. We have a, a contract in place with the national grid at the moment for this connection. The dates that are in those contracts are subject to change sometimes. It's not exactly set in stone. It, assuming this came through country planning, uh, as we hope it will in, in the next few months, um, it could be ready to build as early as um, sort of the middle to late next year. Um, but it is very much subject to when National Grid can accommodate the connection for us. Simon Willer, thank you very much for explaining that to us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. The planning application for the proposed Hillfield solar farm is due for determination on the 30th of April. Do take a look at the planning application on the Hartsmere Borough Council website if you'd like to learn more or to comment. I found it by going to the planning applications page and searching for Hillfield. That's got one L in the middle. Now, one thing we can all agree on is that domestic solar panels are a great idea and the Solar Street scheme is still open to enable St Albans residents to buy panels at greatly discounted rates. Check out the podcast page of RadioVerulam.com to hear me talking to Andy Turnstall about the scheme and search for Solar Street St Albans for more details.
And also on RadioVerulam.com, you'll find an audio clip entitled Saving Trees in Our Area. Tim Boatswain from St Albans Civic Society talks to us about a lime tree in Brickett Road, which is threatened with felling to make way for a major development. We'll also hear about the impact of trees generally in cities and towns. And there's a link to the petition that Tim has launched asking Hearts County Council to save the Brickett Road lime. Registration is now open for this year's St Albans Sustainability Festival. As Sustress Working Group Chair Jill Watson explained to us here on Environment Matters a couple of weeks ago. It's definitely going to get ahead from the 23rd of May to the 6th of June, so we can start encouraging any local groups we're involved in to start thinking about a COVID-safe sustainability-themed event for the week now. Take a look at sustfest.org for lots of information and inspiration. Do keep in touch on Twitter at RV underscore environment on the Environment Matters Facebook page or you can drop me a line on amanda at radioverilum.com if you've got a comment or something you'd like me to cover. I'm going to be back at the same time next week. Until then, thank you for listening.